If you got your Bibles, I'd invite you to uh, get them open or, or keep them open. Uh, we're going to be uh, in Revelation, the book of Revelation again this week, last book in the Bible all the way to the right. We're going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 12, it's page uh, 1034 in the church Bible. You, you're really going to need to follow along this morning. We've got a lot of stuff to look at, and we're not going to be able to read everything this morning, but we're going to start on a very um, large and significant uh, chump, chunk of scripture this morning. Uh, if you need a Bible, grab one from under the seat in front of you, or you can get them in the lobby there. They're all over the place. Hopefully you can find one easily. We ended last week with uh, the end of chapter 11, uh, with the blowing of the seventh trumpet. You can probably see a heading in your Bible there that says the seventh trumpet or something like that. This uh, blowing of the seventh trumpet is something that signifies the beginning of the uh, what's actually called the third woe, uh, the third and, and final woe that is to be declared upon the earth. The seventh trumpet and the third woe are the same thing, okay? So we'll, we'll get into that a bit more. But a lot's happened in uh, John's book so far here. If you guys have been following along at all, there's, uh, there's I forget how many sermons. We've been doing this since January 9th. It's really hard to get through stuff. There's so much stuff in the Bible, so much stuff packed into these verses. And uh, at this point in the discussion, at this point in John's revelation, we are well into what's called Daniel's 70th week. Daniel predicted a period of seven years that would end this present age and usher in the age of the kingdom of God on earth. And in this story now, we're well into that. We're in the sixth, seventh year the seven-sealed scroll has been opened. We read that in Revelation chapter 6, and we got out of that and into the, the trumpets, the, the several warnings, um, just like Egypt, when God was breaking his people out of Egypt, he sent warnings to Egypt first, let my people go. They said no, so he sent a plague on them, and then another plague, and another plague. Same thing is going on here, just like then. God's sending warnings, and there's a trumpet blast, and, and another trumpet blast, and another one. Each one consequences on the earth. God's, hey, look up here, people. Turn towards me and be saved. Giving everybody on earth plain demonstrations of his glory and power and a plain chance over and over to turn to him and to repent Chapter 8 and 9 tells us about these warnings in the form of trumpet blasts that announce destruction and tribulation for the inhabitants of the earth at this time. In chapter 8, you can see if you flip back a page there, there's a description of the effects of the first four trumpets in the beginning of that chapter. We're not going to read them. We've read, that, read them several times. Uh, there's like devastation on the earth with each of these first, trumpet, four, first four trumpet blasts. And then in Revelation 8, 13, we, we read this. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So this is where we get the, the categorization of trumpets uh, 5, 6, and 7 as something more significant than the first four. They're called woes that are declared that are about to come on the earth. Uh, these last three trumpets are announced to the earth to be especially troubling. 
and destructive. And we see the fifth trumpet in uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And then you see down in chapter, or verse 12, that the fo- first woe has passed. Behold, the two woes are still to come. So the first woe, the fifth trumpet, is described in those verses we don't know what's going on. We've, if you, li- you want to know the details of that, go back in, in my uh, sermons and, and listen. But honestly, we don't really know what's going on there. All we know is it's terrible. There's some weird things about locusts with stingers in their tails that look like horses. Nobody knows what these things are yet. But then we have in the second woe, starts in verse uh, 13 of chapter 9, the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And you can see over, if you flip over, to uh, 11, verse 14, the second woe has passed, behold, the third woe has come. So that in between there is the description of the, the second woe. It starts in chapter 9, verse 13, and continues till uh, halfway through ver- chapter 11. The second woe, just another crazy description of what's happening on the earth. The suffering and the conflict is extreme. We're almost at the end of the story. And even after all that God has done, all that God has shown to the inhabitants of the earth, what happens? How do the people respond? Do they respond with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ at these messages that God is giving them? No, they do not. In, uh, In verse 20 of chapter 9, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Despite all that God has done and all that his, God has said, repentance and faith stubbornly refuse to be born on the earth. Except, except, we read at the end of the story of the two witnesses in chapter 11, this finally, this glimmer of hope after they are on the earth and and taken away. The end of their story, we read that, that Israel, God's chosen family, well after centuries after of hard heartedness towards their God and their Messiah, their hearts finally begin to soften. We read that after they see what God does with his witnesses and how they are raised to life again after lying dead and they are called up to heaven and after God shakes the earth and knocks down a tenth of the city and 7,000 of his people die, chapter 11, 13 says, And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Finally, somebody is going to pay attention to what God is doing. And all of that brings us to the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which is really an announcement. It is... It's the third woe, we're going to see that, but it's also an announcement to all of creation. An announcement of, well, something that we've been praying for for a long time, that the the Christian church has been praying for for a long time, and ubiquitously we've been praying this, okay? 
Remember this, um, Jesus was walking around with his disciples early in his ministry, and they're watching him, and they're like, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. Remember that story? Yeah. What, uh, well, what did D Jesus teach them to pray for? How did that prayer go? Probably people have said this prayer more times than any other sentences in human history, right? What did he say? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the first thing he says? Thy kingdom come. Right? We've been praying that at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer millions of times a year for centuries. Thy kingdom to come. The church has been praying that for 2,000 years. Abraham's family has been waiting for that for twice as long as that. This is the cry of the people of God in this book who are being killed for their faith. They're asking, how long, O Lord? How long until you finally end this? And here, here, Finally, all those prayers are going to get answered. That's what's happening here. The announcement is going forth. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. That's the announcement, and that's where we left off last week. And now we have arrived at some of the most uh, famous sections of scripture that there are, chapter 12 and chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> you may have heard uh, many people talk about the contents of these chapters, the, the beasts and the, the dragon and the, the mark of the beast and the false prophet. Now we're into that stuff, okay? Some of you may have thought this was going to be really confusing. Actually, it's, it's not super confusing once you get the idea of what's going on here. So just hang in with me for t today and the next couple of weeks, and we'll straighten it out. Uh, it makes so much sense. It's the, some of the greatest stuff that's ever written in this book. But here's a question for you. We've been through this for so long now. Who's been uh, missing from the story so far in Revelation? We read a lot about uh, a lot of different players in this, but we really haven't read much about, or anything really, about one of the major players in the story. Where's Satan in this story? Where's God's adversary? Where's the devil? He hasn't really been mentioned at all yet. Well, that's going to change now. It's time to hear about him and what his role in this is going to be in the end. He's the prince of the powers of this world, right? He's the prince of the powers of darkness. He's the ruler in heavenly places. Um, he's the deceiver of this whole world. Uh, the whole world lies in his power, it says, the Bible says. He's the principal rulers of the, ruler of the kingdoms of this world. They, they have all been built by him. Why hasn't Jesus said anything about him yet in this story? Well, now he is going to do that, and he's going to show John another story. Remember, I keep telling you these are Revelation is just a series of stories being told. And God's like, hey, watch this. Oh, yeah, and then watch this. And Jesus like, hey, wait a second. You need to know this before you know this. And he's weaving together this story. And Jesus has done this several times now. 
He shows John some stuff, and he brings the story to a certain point, and then he tells another story that goes back and fills in some of the details, and then he goes on with the story he was telling. Okay? That's, that's happened already a couple of times in Revelation, and that's what's happening here. The announcement has been made. The trumpet has been sounded. The end is here. There is no more waiting. It's time for God's Son to return and to crush the empires of this earth and establish the kingdom of God on earth for eternity. What is Jesus going to tell John next? Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our Lord, our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman and the dragon opened its mouth and swallowed the river Sorry, then the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the stand in the sand of the sea. Okay, all make sense? Good to go? Yeah, just kidding. It uh, seems confusing at first, doesn't it? A couple things to notice. First, we got to make sure we got this straight. Um, this story is an allegory, okay? Not everything in the Bible is an allegory. 
Not everything in Revelation is an allegory. It's an allegory when God says it is, and here he does. It's just, this is a, an allegory. It's a symbolic representation of literal things. Okay? The Bible's full of these kinds of stories. Right? Jesus told them often. They're called parables. Right? We know that that is what this story is, a parable, because look what it's about. It's about signs. Right? In verse 1, there's a sign in heaven. And then in verse 3, there's a sign in heaven, another sign in heaven. These are symbolic um, of literal things, but they're not real. Like, there's not a real woman that's wearing the sun and some stars on her head, right? You get that? She's not a, a million miles tall, so she can fit. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of something that God is showing Jesus is showing John a parable to explain something. And he's going to explain this, what this parable is, is the story of how Satan is involved in the story. And how the story of the devil is going to intersect now the story of what happens after the seventh trumpet. And Jesus is going to explain how this all connects together, how Satan's involved. Notice this story is about two things as well, this, this parable. There's, there's two players, really main players in the story. There's two signs, right? Verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Okay, who's, who's this woman? Um, the story about, okay, let's do the second one too. The second sign is a dragon, right? Verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. So there's a st stories about a woman and a dragon. And God is going to set the context for us before he tells this story about the woman and the dragon. So look back in uh, Revelation uh, eleven nineteen, the, the last verse of the chapter before. Remember I told you last week, this, this really is a transition verse. It, it kind of more belongs in the setup to this story than it does in the conclusion of the last. But, you know, the chapter breaks and the verse marks are, are not uh, inspired. They were put there to help us read the Bible. But Revelation eleven nineteen says that uh, God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Okay, here's something we don't have a lot of time to talk about today, but it's fascinating. We'll get back to it again because it keeps coming up. There is a temple in heaven, okay? Is that everybody okay with that? There's like a real heaven. There's a real temple. There's things there. There's beings there. And this temple in heaven is where God's throne is. We've already seen several scenes from the temple or in front of the temple in heaven. And the temple that was built on earth and everything that is in it are made to resemble the temple in heaven and its contents, okay? This is how God set up creation to be. He has his, he has his own temple in heaven, and then he has a, a, a shadow, a picture, a representation of his heavenly temple he has had built upon the earth. Ezekiel 25 says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. See that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. The writer of Hebrews, when talking about the priests in the earthly temple, says in Hebrews 8.5, they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. 
There's a temple in heaven, and apparently the Ark of the Covenant is seen when it's opened. Why would God show that? Why would, why would John write down that, hey, look, it's the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant disappeared from the Old Testament back before Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. There's no reason to believe that that's what this is, though. There's, a, there's an Ark in heaven. What does, why does God want to show that? What does the Ark symbolize? Well, it's, it's a symbol of God's promises to his people, right? What's, what, was, what was in the Ark on the earth? Anybody remember? The stone tablets. Everybody gets that one. Aaron's staff, yeah, yeah. The jar of manna, that's right. So God's like, um, I made some promises. You know, I remember I wrote my law down in stone. I did miracles to establish my authority and my power and my word. And I preserved my people through all of it. That's the idea of the, the law and the staff and the manna. God was like, I made some promises, and I have the power to do it, and I will sustain you to the end until it's done. God is setting this story that we're about to read, this allegory, this parable, directly in the context of his eternal promises, his eternal decrees. God is like, before I tell you what happens next, let me show you my promises first. And 1119, there were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, earthquake, and heavy hail. This is a description of God's authority and his power as he speaks. When God speaks, when God declares something, this is often how it's described in the Bible with words like this. God's words and actions are, are accompanied by these things. God makes all of the heavens and the earth shake sometimes with the power of his word and he declares he shows creation he shows john his ark of the covenant and then he says a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars who is this woman who are and who does this woman represent well genesis uh, 37 9 talks about um, jacob's family Jacob's son specifically, and, and one of them in particular is named Joseph, and uh, he has um, a dream, Joseph does, and it's recorded in Genesis 37.9, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. He, Joseph, dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And we find out that what's going on there is this is a picture of Joseph's family, his mother and his father and his brothers, all coming to bow down to him. And we see the fulfillment of that in the story of Joseph. In the end, they all do come to Egypt and bow down to him. But here we also just have a picture that God gives us of Jacob's family, symbolized by the sun and the moon and the 12 stars around them. And here we see in Revelation, that same symbol used. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. This, this is woman represents God's chosen family, the family of Jacob, the nation of Israel. That's the woman. Revelation 12, 2 says she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Okay, so many times in the Old Testament, God's prophets speak about this subject. That, that Israel is, that his people are here for a purpose. They're here to bring something into this creation. 
Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isaiah 26, Like a pregnant woman who cries, who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. Micah 4, 10 says, Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. Okay, there's a woman. The woman is Israel. And Israel is in labor. The woman's in labor. She's crying out in the agony of giving birth. Revelation 12, 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven horns and se- sorry, seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Okay, the Old Testament talks about a dragon a few times. Okay? Isaiah 27 says, In that day, the, the day of the end, the day of God's judgment, In that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. We actually don't have to go that far to see exactly who this dragon represents. We've already heard it in our story once. Look at verse 9. tells us, in case we're not, in case we get confused. Verse 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, he's tying it back into, this is the serpent from Genesis. This is the original rebel, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So the the dragon is Satan, right? So there's a woman representing Israel and a dragon that represents Satan. Satan Satan is God's chief adversary. He's the original serpent, the one who helped Adam and, and Eve unleash destruction and death into God's good creation way back in the beginning, the story is about a woman and a dragon. And in verse 4, we read that the dragon, his t- we'll get into the, like, the seven heads and the ten horns and heads to diadems. And all. That'll come later. It ties into the story again, but that's not, not for today. We read, though, that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Hmm. Notice the, uh, who's the actor here. Right? It's the dragon. The dragon is doing this. Some people say this, um, this is a picture, of, anybody maybe have heard this, this is a picture of the fall of Satan and his angels. <clears throat> I don't think so, because this isn't something that's being done to the dragon, this is something the dragon is doing. He is the one. He's the one dragging the stars down and casting them to the earth. The tail is an offensive weapon. It's something he uses to destroy and to conquer. He is casting them to earth. This is a story of the vigorous opposition that he has to God's decrees. He opposes God's plan, and he is powerful. He even conquers and defeats a third of the host of heaven in his desire to destroy God's work. That's what stars are represented in the Bible. The being of beings of the spiritual realm, the Elohim, some people use angels now and then, um, they're often called and compared to stars. Anyway, this, this dragon who fights the plans of God in heaven also fights the plans of God on earth. And just like he was successful in heaven, he's hoping for some success on earth because we see this, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, she might, he might devour it. Okay, the dragon does not want this child to survive when it's born, right? 
He's ready to devour it. He's watching the woman. He's waiting for the delivery. He's not being caught unaware with this story. And she gives birth. Chapter, or chapter 12, verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. A male child. Okay. This, the Greek in this is actually pretty funny. It, it actually says a male son. That word child actually means son. It just doesn't really make any sense in English for us to say a male son. But that's what it says in the Greek. Here's, the, here's what's going on here. John is emphasizing, Jesus is emphasizing, this is a human child that's being born. This isn't a, an Elohim. This isn't part of the spiritual realm. This is actually a person that is going to be. It's, it's, a, it's a baby boy, a baby person boy. Her, that's what the emphasis is here. And, and why is this special? Well, this is a problem for the dragon, okay? And he knows these promises. He knows what's in the ark. He knows what God has said. He knows has, that God has said that the offspring of Eve will one day arrive to crush him. That's the proto-evangelion. It's the very first prophecy in the Bible that, yeah, you're going to, your serpent, you're going to bite her heel, but he's gonna cr her offspring's going to crush your head. And here's the one, the arrival of the crushing one. This idea that God has declared that a mere human being is going to be the one to crush the prince of darkness in all his power is preposterous to the devil. The devil hates this. And that's what this promise is. This child will depose the dragon, right? He will become the one who rules the nations. He will take the rulership of the kingdoms of this earth finally and once and for all away from the dragon no matter what the dragon tries to do. No matter what dr the dragon tries to lead the powers of earth to do, it will all fail and God's son will sit on the throne. Psalm 2, 7 and 9 says, I, tell, uh, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have been gotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And here we see she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. It's, this is the promised one. But as usual, even though the plans of the enemies stand in total dedicated opposition, even though the dragon is waiting to devour that child, he's watching, he's, he's, he's going to get him when he comes. But the plans of the opponents of God never succeed. And the unexpected happens. Not only does this child survive, this child ascends to heaven, to the throne of God, right? But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Talk about frustrated plans, right? Satan is thinking, he's going to bring that child to an end. And instead, that child is exalted above all in heaven. And, and notice this, to kind of rub salt in the wound, um, the woman escapes too. Right? 
And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. He doesn't get the child. He doesn't get the woman. Right? Everything is frustrated. And God says, I got, I'm looking after you. She is, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. It just means God's going to keep her alive. Right? God's going to feed her. God's going to make sure she doesn't starve to death. She's going to live. 1260 days. It's a, I don't know, we'll have to get back to that another day. It's, it's, this is a parable, so it's not a literal number. I'm not saying it doesn't have meaning. It's just not a literal thing. It's a period of time that God is going to protect and nourish his woman, his woman, his, his nation, uh, the woman, so that she survives until the next story. Because then he shows John a vision, an, another vision, a vision of Israel and Satan again in a battle. Satan tried to destroy the child that Israel was about to deliver, to deliver, and God's word is true, and Satan does not succeed, and, is, and Israel's child, the Messiah, is born, and he is now seated on the throne of heaven, and the woman lives on. Israel still is here, and then the second part of the story, it's another story, okay, about the woman and the dragon. Another conflict between the woman and the dragon. This is the, the third woe now, right? This conflict is going to be intense. This verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, that you would dwell on this, but woe to you on the earth. The third woe has arrived. The seventh trumpet story is now. The seventh trumpet is the announcement of what? War arising in heaven. Who wins this war in heaven? Uh, Michael and his angels. And the devil is thrown to the earth. The seventh trumpet is the announcement of the end of the war in heaven. Right? Satan and his minions no longer rule. They're cast out. They're cast. That's why we have a woe, because that's the announcement of this great news for heaven. Right? It says, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you on the earth, because the announcement of the greatest joy of heaven is the greatest tribulation that the inhabitants of the earth have ever seen. Jesus called it the great tribulation. For, the, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Jeremiah called it the time of Jacob's trouble. Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob. Daniel said at, of this time, there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. It's pretty bad. It's the third woe. But is the story going to be different this time? Is the dragon going to succeed this time? Because look at verse 19. He, he goes after the woman again. Sorry, not 19. Not, uh, sorry, 13. And the dragon saw the woman thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Does he catch her? No, of course not. Right? His plans will be frustrated once again. And God will be victorious once again. <laughs> the devil, hey, he may be angrier than he has ever been before. It says it looks like he's going to be pretty angry. But he's still a loser, and he still can't compete, no matter how angry he gets. We're going to sing another song here. 
But this is the story of the ages. Again, told now in the end, about the time of the end. The kings of the earth and the powers of heaven standing in opposition to God and God laughing at them and God mocking them in his absolute rule over everything that they try, frustrating their plans at will, turning all of their efforts to defeat him into more glory and more reward for his people and his son. Now, I don't know who you're putting your trust in these days. This world is a crazy place, and it's a scary place, and there is a lot of unknown things happening around us. Are you trusting in science? Are you trusting in the authorities of this world? Are you trusting in your own strength? your own wisdom, your own planning? Are you trusting in your own heart and your own good work? Let me tell you, the great dragon, the one who could sweep myriads of the host of heaven into defeat, the one who has ruled this earth for millennia, the one who put everything he had and is going to put everything he has into the destruction of the woman and the child, He's got plans, but God has other plans. He said in Isaiah 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that child was born. And that child grew to be a man. And that man went to the cross to die in our place. And he was buried in a tomb. And the dragon thought he was winning. Because, hey, 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But that was not the case. In fact, the dragon was just doing his part. Because little did the dragon know, the tomb was where the victory actually was. Because in reality, the defeat of the dragon is easy. right? Jesus defeats the dragon every day. But Jesus doesn't just defeat the dragon. Jesus defeats sin and death itself. And yes, the dragon put him in the grave, but no grave can hold him. And he walked alive out of that grave with the keys of death and Hades in his hand, alive forevermore. And he forged a way for all the children of men to follow him into eternal life. I don't know who you're trusting or what you're trusting, but I think I'll trust him. And today we have some people that want to declare that trust in him as well. And uh, the tank is full, the baptism tank. And if you want to place your faith and proclaim that today through baptism, you guys, gonna, let's go. And if there's anybody else that wants to do that today, hey, the water's warm, come on in. We got shirts and towels and shorts in the back if you didn't bring anybody that want to do it today. If anyone here has put their faith in Jesus Christ and wants to take this step of obedience to declare your allegiance to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the slayer of the dragon and the slayer of death 
and sin themselves. The invitation is yours. Join us now.